Now, uh, I won't, I'm not preaching, preaching. Pastor asked me to share my testimony, and I, I will use a launching pad story from the Bible to do that. And uh, are we online? Okay, thank you. And uh, there's, there's certain things I, I, I will name or not include so that the parties may be protected uh, in my testimony. But um, it is, I always say, I love, I, I, as a church member, I love doing back-to-back services. Because then you've got the rest of the evening free. As a preacher, I hate doing back-to-back services. And uh, the people are tired, but most of all, I'm tired and I need a nap. And so thank you all for that brought food and different things and desserts. I don't know who brought that apple pie, but they're getting a crown in heaven for that. So, um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate the fellowship. Even more than that, it's always good to be in the Lord's house and to talk to God's people. It's a wonderful thing, and I look forward to getting to know uh, many more of you and hearing your testimonies throughout the, uh, the weeks, uh, throughout the week here and the days that, uh, and I know what's going to happen. It's going to fly by. It always flies by way too fast. And I don't know who alerted the choir, by the way, but they have like sung two of my favorites to already today. And what a lovely name. The name of Jesus is one of my favorite songs ever. And then, of course, he's my king and uh, world's great, great songs. And I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for all your kindness. I learned a new song. I have never sung that song. before. I don't know if I've ever heard that it's called The Beauty of Jesus. I've never even heard of that song before. And so we used the songs and hymns of revival at our church. And before that, we had soul-stirring hymns from the Sword of the Lord publishers. And so I have, I have I, and I know Byron Fox, who put together that book there. We were just together back in October. But uh, there's some songs in there that I absolutely don't know. And I've, I, I don't remember even singing, until I got to college, I don't think I sang We Three Kings of Orient are. And, and Like a River Glorious, that was one of the songs I learned in college. Like a River Glorious is God's perfect peace. And uh, there's, there's always good hymns, and, and I'm sure I know some that you don't know, but I love that. I love learning a new hymn, and that, that was a good one. I'm going to take that back to our church. I'm going to screenshot that page. And, uh, I do that a lot to our music director at our church. I, I'll, I'll hear a good song somewhere, a good chorus somewhere, and I'm like, we need to do that. And uh, now that I'm not the music director, I can give all the suggestions to him. But uh, that was me all those years, 14 years, getting that from other people. Now I get to put it back on him, so I appreciate that. Turn to Judges. Judges chapter number 11, and I'm just going to give you really a short challenge, and then I'll share as much as my testimony as, as, as I possibly can cram in here in the next 30 seconds. No. But um, I really do appreciate it, and boy, what a, what, a good, what a good response this morning, by the way. I've heard several people that have talked to me after the service, uh, just what the Lord did in that, and listen, I only got through two of like nine of my points this morning. So that just lets you know how normally long my sermons are. And actually, what I normally do with that message is I cut it in half. And I'll preach one of a Sunday morning and one Sunday night. Um, but I just, you know, maybe the Lord will lead me some other time to do that and finish that message. Uh, but the, the other points are, there's a, there's a, and by the way, I added that point this morning, that first one, preaching that proclaims. Normally, the power that sustains is my first one. And then a couple months ago, I added an in-between one a place that contains, it's about heaven, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 1, for we, uh, we know if, for if our earthly body of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God in the heavens not made of hands, and uh, uh, that we have in this flesh we shall have tribulation, uh, the Bible says, but be not uh, overcome, be not, 
trouble, for I am overcome the world. Anyways, you know the verse. And, uh, but it uh, talks about the flesh and uh, about heaven and what we're looking forward to. So we've got to have a place that contains to encourage us. Then we've got to have a purpose that remains. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, the Bible says, uh, whether I be absent or present, uh, that I might be accepted of him. That's our purpose. It's not to be accepted of anybody else. It's that we might be accepted of him. For we labor that whether absent or present, thank you, Lord, that we might be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we've got to have a purpose that remains. And then beyond that purpose that remains, we've got to have a passion that constrains. The Bible says the love of Christ, that constrains us to serve the Lord. And then beyond that, we not only have to have a passion that constrains, but then we have to have uh, uh, be a people that reclaim. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. And uh, then beyond that, we've got to have a salvation that ordains. And uh, so I, I love preaching that message. So that was my second win. All right. And uh, I got those points in there. Okay, Lord. But and those things will encourage you. They'll strengthen you for the journey. And if you'll focus on that, and it, I know it's tough for a preacher to preach through two chapters of the Bible like that. And usually that's, that it really is, is through two chapters. And, and uh, I really like to encourage God's people with that. Judges chapter number 11, the Bible says, now Jephthah, what a strange name. Jephthah. I should have had somebody try to say that name. It's like the old preachers, a lot of the, lot of the southern preacher friends of mine, whenever they had a difficult name or a passage like that, they would feel led to have one of their preacher boys stand up and read that passage of scriptures. <laughs> and uh, it's like, try to, try, to, try to get somebody who doesn't know the Bible at all to pronounce the word, uh, you know, Eshbibanab or uh, Artaxerxes. And I'm like, God bless you with that. You just kind of mumble and act like you know what you're doing and uh, know what you're saying. And I found out when I was in Israel that we pronounce every name wrong. And did you go to Israel with your husband? And I'm tell they, they were saying names, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying anymore. And, and then it made sense. Like, for example, uh, the city of Capernaum. Did you all, you all spend some time there? Did they give you the Hebrew pronunciation? Our, our guide, was he, was he was a Jew, but he was saved. And so the, the pronunciation is Kapernehum. Kapernehum. Kappa is a city. Nehum, the city of Nehum. We don't, I never even put that together with the book of Nahum in the Bible. And Nahum means consolation. So it's a city of consolation in the scriptures. So Jesus Christ, after he was rejected, remember he was rejected in Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth, excuse me. And they were about to throw him off of what was Nazareth's precipice. You guys probably went there as well. And he, he went through the middle of the crowd there. He like teleported through him. And, uh, but when he left Nazareth there, he went up north into Galilee into Capernaum, the city of consolation. I believe God named it that city because he knew that's where Jesus needed a refuge for a little while. After he was rejected, he needed a city of consolation there. And then, of course, he cursed the city and said, listen, if it, because Jesus took refuge in you, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon because if the miracles would have been done in you, that, that they, in them that you saw, they would have repented. And so just neat things like that in the scripture. That just, this name Jephthah is an interesting name. It's one of the difficult names in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it made it into the Hall of Fame. in Hebrew. We call it the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham, and by faith Noah, and by faith, you know, even Rahab the harlot is in there, and uh, by faith Moses and Joseph, and, and the time would, it says, the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Sarah, and then it says, of Jephthah. 
Now, there's some great people in the Bible that didn't make it into Hebrews 11. You ever think about that? No Elijah, no Elisha, no Samuel, no Isaiah, no Nehemiah, Jeremiah. There's a lot of people that didn't make it into Isaiah, but Jephthah made it into Isaiah. And the Bible says, now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. What an accolade to have. And he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And we, t- we can go through the story here. Gilead's wife bare him sons and daughters. And as they grew up, they, began, they cast out Jephthah. And I'm going to paraphrase the story a little bit because I want to get into my testimony here. Jephthah grows up amongst these stepbrothers and stepsisters. And then all of a sudden, they said he's going to have an inheritance with us if we allow him. And so the Bible says that the stepbrothers take Jephthah and they cast him out. And Jephthah, as the story goes, Jephthah begins to take his living among the Philistines. And he begins to go to where the armies of the, the enemies of God were. And Jephthah is amongst them, but he knows something about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and he, according to these scriptures, he begins to uh, uh, seek out the Lord. And, and Jephthah becomes this mighty man of valor. And then all of a sudden, Gilead is being attacked by the enemies of God. And his brothers call for him at that time. And they say, listen, come over and help us now. And Jephthah... He, he begins to debate with them, and he began, eventually he comes over, and, and he wanted to know if God was going to give him the victory. And so he said, he promised the Lord that if you were to give me the victory, he said, the first thing that comes out of the gate of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to you. And of course, God gives Jephthah the victory, and the Bible says he's coming back home. And all of a sudden, his daughter comes out to meet him, the Bible says, with dancing and with timbrels. And Jephthah begins to weep. And he makes the famous statement, I believe it's verse 35. This isn't the point of the message today, but I think this is good for all of us to see it. The Bible says, verse 34, And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dancers, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, for thou art one of them that trouble me. Watch this. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. What a statement. I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And of course, his daughter begins to say, Well, let me mourn. Let me mourn for a year, and then, as far as we know, Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. Now, understand this. God is not for human sacrifice. The only human sacrifice that he ever accepted was actually himself. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And we can go into the implications of this. I heard a man preach one time, and I thought it was really good. He preached on learning from the Philistines, because Jephthah most likely learned his human sacrifice from the Philistines. But that's not the point of the message here today. But Jephthah starts out his story. Yeah, he was a mighty man of valor. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is the inspiration of the Almighty. He's the son of a harlot.
Can I say this? If you could sum up what my testimony is, it's this phrase right here. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. In the year 1980, my mother and her siblings were a normal night as far as any of them knew. Then out of nowhere, their mother went down. They began to call an ambulance in, and I believe it was January of that year, if I'm not mistaken. They called an ambulance there, and my mother, as she remembers it, their ambulance were there working on her mother, and of course, they didn't pronounce her dead right there, but in her upper 40s, she had had a heart attack and lost her life at her home that day, but they didn't pronounce her dead until she went to the hospital. Several months after that, my grandfather had a stroke and was incapacitated until his death not too long after that, not even a year apart, both in their upper 40s, I believe, maybe 50 years old, both passed away. And my mother, who was the youngest of eight kids, was kind of left to herself. Her older brothers at the time, mostly her older brothers, but all of her siblings were partying. All of them were living a lifestyle. Just nobody, nobody really knew anything about the Lord. Nobody even had a Bible in their home, really. They claimed to be Lutheran at some point in their lives. Somebody was baptized Lutheran somewhere 50 years down in the past, but nobody really went to church or anything like that. Nobody read the Bible. As far as we knew, none of them were saved. My mother began to live her life and her older siblings at the time and uh, my, my oldest uncles were, uh, throughout my life, they were some of the, some of the biggest heroin dealers uh, in the city there and then later in Chicago and then later in Milwaukee as well. So this is, this is the life my mother was living before, before, as her parents died, excuse me. My mother began to live a lifestyle and, and, and I've often tried to put myself in my mother's shoes with no parents as a 14-year-old as a girl and into her 15 years old. What kind of life would I be living? I don't, I don't know. I was fortunate enough to have her in my life. But through that time, my mother got pregnant, 15 years of age. And on June 16th, 1981, my mother gave birth to a bouncing little boy named Calvin Allen. And I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know anything about the Lord, as I already stated. Nobody, nobody knew anything about God. And we were living in at what the time was the murder capital of the United States. And some of my earliest memories are of going to the bar that my cousin's dad owned uh, on, on Broadway right there in the city of Gary. And I remember going up, walking up from, we lived in 8th and Jefferson. That's the only house I ever remember. And uh, I remember walking down the street here. There was a motorcycle gang club that was a kitty corner from our house. And we'd walk around. We'd, we'd, we'd take a left out of the house. We'd walk across the street, go up the street there. Broad Street was this way. We'd walk down here. I remember walking to that bar. I can still, any time I smell alcohol to this day, I can, I can still picture walking up those steep stairs up to that bar. And I can literally, I can describe that that bar scene to you from my cousin's dad. His name was Willie at the time. He, he was up that bar. I remember a lot of things about that neighborhood. I remember, I remember at the other end of the street, uh, the, the motorcycle club and the bar were on this end of the street. And I remember there were some train tracks 
right here. They, they kind of dead ended, but you could still turn there, but there was train tracks where it dead ended on the end of our road. And I remember as a kid being around three and a half years old, I remember walking down there and I remember a dead body right there on the train tracks. These are things I was seeing as a kid. I remember, I remember parties going on around for some reason. My, I've got one of those freakish memories and, and so many things. I remember the parties and I remember even, I can picture one time they had a blue light in the house there and, and, uh, uh, their partying's going on and everything else, and the music's blaring. And one of my earliest memories of my aunt Valfi, and she she was she walked outside of that house, same house, and somebody had fought with her son, or there was an adult that attacked her son. And I remember my aunt walking out of the house with a 38 in her hand, getting ready to go take care of business with somebody that hurt her son. And I remember my uncle grabbing her and like, no, 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 don't do that. Could you imagine being a little kid and you're seeing all these things? Well, through the course of time, one day at that house, there was a knock on our door. And I don't know who it was. I've tried to track down who it was. We've tried, tried to talk about who it was. But somebody knocked on our door and said, hey, I'm brother such and such from Fairhaven Baptist Church. And we've got a Sunday school bus that comes around and pick people up for Sunday school. And we want to know if your kids could ride the bus with us. And signed up a bunch of kids in our house. And for the first time in my life that I knew of, I got on a bus. And I remember it was Easter Sunday the first time I ever came. You say, how do you remember that? There's two reasons why I remember that. Number one, because when I got to Sunday school class, now you'll appreciate this as being folks, some of you folks that were raised there. I, uh, several years ago, I stopped in on a Saturday afternoon to Fairhaven Baptist Church in Chesterton, Indiana. Because I thought, you know, I haven't been here in 31 years. Nobody here even knows I exist. And so I walked into, I, I was taking pictures of the buses there. And two bus workers, college students, they came over to say, hey, can we help you? And I said, yeah, I said, 31 years, at that time, 31 years. I said, 31 years ago, I rode these buses to, to, to Sunday school here. And I said, I'm an independent Baptist evangelist right now. And they were just blown away. And they said, well, would you like a tour of the building? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so they, they walked me in the building, and, and we were walking down that, that hallway. And uh, I said, uh, we're walking down the hallway, and I could just, I, my mind started to picture things again. And we walk, and there's this wall right here. And I'm like, I'm walking past this wall, and I'm like, no. Nah. I said, we used to come in right there. And the guy said, no, you didn't. And I said, listen, man, I'm telling you, we used to come in right there. And these guys are like, I don't think so. And I'm like, go get somebody. So finally this older lady in the church came over. And she said, no, he's exactly right. He said, this used to be the bus kid entrance. And my mind went back to little four-year-old me walking through these doors. And I said, as a matter of fact, there's that hallway right there, that dead ends right there. And I said, I said, as a matter of fact, I said, there's, I said, right halfway down this hallway, it used to stop. And I said, my Sunday school class was at the end of that hallway on the right. And, and, and they're like, I don't know. The lady saying, that, no, he's right. He's like, that beam right there is where the building used to end. And your Sunday school class would have been right there. That, and I don't know, I, I want to find this lady. There's one lady I want to find. I want to find my bus captain when I get to heaven. There's another lady, and you'll forgive me. I'm, I'm trying not to cry. All right, there's, there's another lady I want to find. 
that Sunday school class that day, I'd never heard the story in all of my life. And she had a flannel graph board. And she told me the story of the death and the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember, as sure as I'm standing here right now, I remember, I remember her taking that stone. I remember the scene of the crucifixion. And I remember her taking that stone. And I remember her rolling that stone away. And, uh, man, the story that has changed my life is the cross and the death and the burial resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to find that lady someday when I get to heaven. I'm going to say, you have no idea the seed that you planted in my heart that day. And now 37 years later, I can still picture that scene of the death, the burial, resurrection of, my, uh, of Jesus Christ. And for the past 30 years, I have proclaimed that message once I got saved that that lady told me when I was four years old at Fairhaven Baptist Church. And I remember that, and I started, we started going through that in some of the other parts of the building, and, and um, I didn't know this until I was talking to my mom later, and I said, I said, Mom, I'm, sorry, I'm going to preach back there, and I'll get into that story, how that all happened, but I said, Mom, I'm going to preach back at Fairhaven. She's like, no way. And I started talking to her, and, uh, well, let me, let me jump back. This is the second reason. So I remembered where everything was. The second reason why I remember what day it was is because, we took a picture with the Smurfs that day at church. <laughs> and I don't know who got away with that. <laughs> Somebody said it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission that day. Because <laughs> I'm like, how did you get a picture with the Smurf at an independent Baptist church? I don't know. And uh, Papa Smurf and everything, they were all there casting spells. I'm just kidding. But uh, I thought, who got away with that? But my cousin, one of my cousins, my cousin who's a year older than I am, he still has the picture of us because we went on the side of the building right there that day and there's like three or four or five smurfs in the middle of all of us bus kids it was awesome and uh watch this but i didn't and i didn't know this so I, I started talking to my mom i said mom you won't believe this i said i'm going back to preach and my mom was like blown away by that and my mom said yeah she said i remember that she said i rode the bus with you back then and i was like what I didn't even remember that my mom had actually ridden the bus with me. Can you imagine your 19-year-old mother? Could you imagine some, a, a random 19-year-old lady showing up here with a little 4-year-old illegitimate child? And then 34 years later, they come back here and preach at your church? Hmm. I love when God does stuff like that. And I went to church that day and I heard the story of the gospel and we came a few other times after that. There were several of my family members that actually were coming for a little while. My cousin who has a unique name, her and her brother, actually his name is Calvin also because my uncle's name is Calvin and his son's name is Calvin and then his grandson's name is Calvin also. And uh, I did not get my name from them. I'll get to that in a minute. But there was all these Calvins. But my other cousin, Calvin, and his sister, Akima, they went to there for, for a little while, for a lot longer than what we did. And, uh, and but then what happened was we, everything we had months after that was burned up in a fire. There's a massive duplex fire. We lived upstairs there, and we lost just about everything we had. 
Well, my aunt, my oldest aunt, had just moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She had some friends that lived up there, and they thought, you know what, let's get out of Gary, and let's start over. So we kind of followed suit, and we went to, Gary, we went to Milwaukee there, checked it out a few times, and, and then when I right before kindergarten, we moved up to Milwaukee. And then began this, you know, our, our, our Milwaukee stay, and just, we lived on the rougher side, the north side of Milwaukee, and, and all the gang violence we saw, and, and uh, we've had a house shot at, we, it's, it's been jumped, it, it's been crazy. And uh, most of the time, they didn't mess with us. And but everybody around us, they did, because like I said, my uncles were crazy. <laughs> and uh, my aunts were even crazier than my uncles, they just didn't know that yet. And uh, I remember one time, we, we were in the city of Milwaukee, and my cousin, that same cousin that my aunt was about to shoot somebody over, he got into some more trouble. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we see him running around the street, and there's like, it literally looked like a parade was following him. And there's like 100 people, and they got sticks and everything else, and they're coming down the street. And I remember, I'll never forget this, my mom, my aunt, Valfie, his mom, my aunt Carmen, and my aunt Pam, just stood in the middle of the street like this. And that whole crowd came to right about within five feet of them, and they just stopped. And, they, you know, like, like all good black women, they took those earrings out first, you know, and then put Vaseline on their eyes. I mean, they were ready to go to town. I'm like, what's about to happen here? And uh, so they, they were going crazy, and, and they just stopped and turned back around and, and went off. And so that was a lot of my upbringing was that, but we, were, we always remembered going to the church and riding the bus. So anybody that would ride, give a, get a bus or a van to church, we would go to. So I, I literally, I went to, back in those days, the, the Pentecostals ran buses too. So I've been to, you know, Faith Holiness Temple, side of, you know, tree on the side of the mountain church, you know. I've been to the Ebenezer Baptist Pentecostal Methodist Episcopal Church on the side of the road church, you know, uh, Oasis, whatever. Anybody that would ride, run a bus or a van, we would get out of there. And then I went to all the Assembly of Gods back then were running buses. And so I went to Bayview Assembly of God. I went to Park Lawn Assembly of God. Uh, you know, I went to all of them. But there's always, we, we just... What was missing was that story that that lady told me. It was the gospel. Oh, we learned about speaking in tongues, and we learned about getting excited. We learned about hooping and hollering and jumping around, but no gospel. We learned about being nice little boys and, and nice little girls, and we even joined them with the Assembly of God. We had Royal Rangers. Royal Rangers was kind of like the Christian equivalency of uh, the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. So we went to Royal Rangers, and, and I still remember my Royal Ranger pledge, ready for anything, ready to, ready to work, play, serve, obey, worship, etc. You know, it's like, who puts the word etc. in a pledge for kids? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Just repeat it and get your pen. Just repeat it and get the pen. That's where I memorized the first, the first verse. I memorized Matthew 7, 12. I think I talked, I don't know if I was talking about that today or yesterday, but Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule, we memorized that. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to ye, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What does it mean? I have no clue idea, but I get another pen if I memorize it. <laughs> and then John 3.16 was memorized. And I was learning these Bible verses, but guess what? No gospel. No gospel. We kept on going to these churches. and We lived on the north side again in Milwaukee, and all of a sudden they said, there's a, there's a, there's a church with some buses over there. And we thought, oh, that's great. One of my cousins started going, and he got, what was that word? Saved. And I was like, oh, that's cool. 
don't know what it means, but if it'll get me a pin. No. And, uh, <laughs> so we start going to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Now, the Milwaukee Rescue Mission is legendary in our area. There's an independent Baptist man, and he pastored for a while. He might be in heaven now. I don't even know. Pastor Varga. And he, he actually started a church in Daytona Beach as a missionary to the, a lot of the race car fans. And the kids on spring break, he had a large soul-winning ministry there. And Pastor Varga, would, 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 he, had a, he had a burden for, you see, the city of Milwaukee, watch this, the city of Milwaukee at one time had five major breweries in the city. That's what Milwaukee is known for. I was, I was, you know how we mess around with sports with each other all the time? And I was teasing some preacher about, you know, cheering for his sports team. And he's like, and I think it was a Cubs fan, and I was teasing him, and I was like, yeah, the Cubs have been cursed. for, And he's, he's like, well, you're cheering for the Brewers. And I was like, so? And he said, well, what do you think they're brewing? <laughs> and for the first time in 34 years of living in Milwaukee, I was like, ginger ale. That's what they're brewing. <laughs> it had never even dawned on me that we were the Brewers. I've been cheering for beer makers for 30-some years. And I was like, oh, I had to repent and get right with God. And but five major breweries at one time. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, Billy Sunday, of course, Billy Sunday, the Lord used him, uh, prohibition, the, the ninth, not 19th Amendment, 18th Amendment, uh, to prohibit the sale of alcohol in the United States. God, he was instrumental in that movement, in the temperance movement, and in the abstinence movement. And even before him, actually, D.L. Moody came to the city of Milwaukee. He had the famous Moody Church. I was talking to somebody, I was talking to you about that Moody Church. D.L. Moody, because the Moody Church in Chicago there, D.L. Moody wanted to have a soul winning campaign. Some of you don't know about his big, big evangelistic campaign. He went to New York City and led 100,000 people to Christ. I'm talking about late 1800s, early 1900s. He was 100,000 people in New York City got saved. Chicago revival. He came to Milwaukee. And listen to what he said. He spent about two or three days in Milwaukee. And he said, this city is too enslaved to alcohol. And he shut down his tent and he went down the road. Billy Sunday later came to Milwaukee. It didn't take him three days. It took him two days. And he said, this city is too enslaved to alcohol. And he packed up his tent and he left town. By the way, there's like six or seven independent Baptist churches today in the city of Milwaukee. About a, we could use about 100 more, at least. We've, we've got a large ministry at our church there, but I'm telling you, we're not even scratching the surface. But that's what the city was like. It's Brewtown, USA. Alcohol is everything in Milwaukee. Pats, Slits, Old Milwaukee, Kugel, Miller, Miller Coors now. Everything is wrapped up in alcoholism. My family went right in line with it. We began to look at other churches and other things, and we were on a, we were on a city. And, but it, so Brother Varga, he ended up starting a rescue mission for homeless men, drunkards, and dope addicts. But on Saturdays and Sundays, he ran buses. And a lot of the students from Maranatha Baptist Bible College back then, they would go on extension ministry on the weekends and work these bus routes. 
And about 88, 89, we would go to these, we'd go to this church. And I remember, I remember, because for the first time in all those years, I remembered, I went to a Sunday school class, and they said, hey, if you guys don't know for sure you're saved, they said, why don't you raise your hand, we'll take you out of the room, we'll show you how to be saved. And I went out one of the room, I raised my hand, I went over into this separate room, and for the first time in about three, five, three to five years, I heard that same story that that lady told me back in Chesterton. There wasn't quite a connection that took place. I went through the motions of it all, kind of like I didn't get plugged in. I went through the motions of it all, and I even prayed with those people, but nothing ever connected there. And we moved to the south side. Same thing, we go to any churches, Assembly of God churches. But I remember, we live on the 8th and Greenfield on the south side of Milwaukee, and I remember there was always this bus it's like big city bus, though, not a school bus, a city bus that would come down our street. And about a block and a half down, it would pick up this family down there. And I'm like, who is that? Who's that bus right there? We never thought anything of it. We went spottedly here. To, this is how spiritual we were, other brother boots. <laughs> second pair of boots. Are, are, is he older? Okay, second pair of boots. We... This is how spiritual we were back then. We cussed like sailors, but we wouldn't cuss on Sundays. <laughs> that was our big spiritual feat. <laughs> you, you don't cuss in church or ever. In church, ever, but you definitely don't cuss on Sundays. <laughs> and don't point at graveyards. That was our other thing. And if you point at a graveyard, you got to bite your finger. <laughs> Weird stuff, man. <laughs> but that's, that's how, that was our spirituality. So we see that bus, but in the meantime, my aunt, 33 years of age, listen to me, 33 years of age, dies of a heart attack. I don't have time to go into the whole story. She was, she was, she was physically abused. She had some health issues, but I, I've literally seen her beaten in front of me. Physical abuse. As a result of that and her health issues, she passed away December 20th, 1990. And my little heart went searching for answers. She was like a mother to me. She was the matriarch of our family at the time. Grandma was gone. She was the oldest of the girls of the family. And my little heart went searching for answers. And I'm like, God, there's got to be something more. What happens after this? I was only, I think I was nine years old, maybe nine, maybe ten years old at that time. 91, excuse me. My little heart began to search and what was going on. And we, we moved to another house about eight blocks away. If you've ever been to the city of Milwaukee and drive through the middle, there's that big clock tower right there. At the, it used to be Allen Bradley Clock Tower. Now it's Rockwell. I still call it Allen Bradley because my name is on it. And we moved down there close to the Allen Bradley Clock Tower. And lo and behold, one Sunday morning, we're outside playing and that same city bus comes down the street. And I'm like, there's that bus again. They're stalking us. <laughs> on that street, we, we almost got shot one time on that street. We, went, we were going to go fishing. And we had, we had walked up the block, and we cut through, and we went to an alley here. And all of a sudden, we heard pop, 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 pop. And we did like all good ghetto people do. Hit the floor. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, 
and, and we're like, what happened? Well, somebody had driven by and shot across the street, thankfully, from our house. Some gangs. It was just crazy. Well, we moved from that street and moved right across the street from the biggest grocery store in the neighborhood. And guess what we saw again? There's that bus. <laughs> Told you they were stalking us. Fourth of July. I hate some. Fourth of July, 1992. The grocery store was here, across the street from us. Our house is here. Half a block away was my cousin's house. I didn't realize, I didn't even know my cousins had already rode on that bus. In between our two houses, there was a lady with six daughters that lived right by my cousin. So I went down 4th of July, and we were playing a game. I mean, you ever heard of cans? You get the line, then you go back 10, 10 points, and then 20 points, and then all the way down. You try to, you know, get to 100 points first. So we're out here playing cans, 4th of July. And this lady comes out of nowhere. And she says, hey, DeMarco, that's my cousin's name. Hey, you guys want to go to church picnic with us? At the, it's going to be at the pastor's house. Now, I didn't know better. I said, wait, is there going to be food there? <laughs> I wasn't a Baptist back then. I didn't know. <laughs> Somebody said every time a Baptist church meets, some bird will offer himself as a living sacrifice. <laughs> there will be a burnt offering. <laughs> and uh, Never mind, You're like, he says crazy stuff. You ought to hear the stuff I don't say. <laughs> and so she said, of course there's going to be food there. So we went and asked my mom. He asked his mom. They said, great. And here I went, got picked up, to go to the pastor's house. I'm like, I've never been to a church service there, and I'm going to the preacher's house. We had so much fun that day. By the way, I have a picture of me from that day. We had so much fun, and then, and then it got down. He said, we're going to have a short service. I thought, oh, this ought to be interesting. And I remember those people, and I remember them singing. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. And I thought, whoa, 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 th th this is different. This, even the style, this music is different than anything I've ever. I'm used to people getting, you know, dancing in church. <laughs> This is different, and I could actually understand the words, and the words are from the Bible. I was like, whoa, whoa hold on. And they sang victory in Jesus, and here's what, here's what my little heart said. These people have something I don't have. They, they have something I don't have. After that day, we began to, went up on the church at night and watched the fireworks, and after that day, I started coming to church there. I could walk sometimes because we only lived about four, four or five blocks away. But most of the time, I would ride the bus to church because they had more candy than walking. <laughs> but if I got up too late, I could still walk. I began to ride the bus and the songs and everything else, and God was just working on my heart. And I would be there in the rally times. And I always remember that, that rally time preacher. He'd always say, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus Christ. I remember those words would echo through my mind. Jesus Christ and him alone. Put your faith and trust. That's what he said. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone. They would always say, and all those words kept echoing in my mind. Put your faith and trust in Christ. And I was like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. See, I was under the impression, like, and listen, listen you got to pray for some of these black churches, what we call black church. There's no such thing as a black church, unless your church is painted black. <laughs> but 
but in some of these, what we would term of black churches, because so many of them, here's what's ingrained into their minds. Oh, you got to live the life. You got to live that life. Can I tell you something? I believe that's straight out of the devil's handbook. Jesus lived the life because you never could. He's the one that lived the perfect life. He died so you don't have to. We don't get saved by turning over a new leaf. We get saved by getting engrafted into the vine called Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that mentality, it permeates our culture because it's, it's like, no, we got to work. We got to do this. We got to change our life. No, you could you imagine going to a doctor and you say, I got my appendix is about to burst. And the doctor tells you, no, you go home. And then when you get better, Jesus will come and put a stamp of approval on you. That's what half churches in America are teaching. You don't get improved. You go to Dr. Jesus and he does the work. And then you improve. Bible says, yes, there's repentance towards God. That is realizing and understanding that you cannot save yourself. You are a hell-bound sinner that has offended a holy, righteous God. The solution is not for you to become perfect. The solution is for you to go to the one who is perfect. And then you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But until then, you're lost as a goose in a hailstorm. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing this preaching. I'm hearing this preaching. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go. Then that day came. March 21st, 1993. It was a Sunday night service. And I'm sitting here listening to the preacher, and this is what the Holy Spirit was doing to me. You're going to hell. And then the Holy Spirit got a little bit ghetto. He said, you going to hell. And I, I, was, like, I was like, he's speaking my language. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. In my head, here's what I said. I said, oh, dear Lord. I said, Lord, and I didn't know I could get saved any time. I just said, Lord, if this preacher ever shuts up, I'm going to get saved. If he ever stops preaching. And back then, we started church at 6 o'clock. Invitation would start right around 8.30. Do the math on that one. <laughs> my, pa my pastor was about 29 back then. He took the church about 28 years old. He was preaching like a machine. And I thought, if, if, if he'll stop preaching, I'm going to get saved. <laughs> And it couldn't come fast enough. He said, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need to get saved, he couldn't even get the words out. I was like, it's me. I walked the aisle that night. Somebody took a Bible and showed me how I was a hell-bound sinner. They showed me how Jesus died. Oh, there was that same story that lady told me. The death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I bowed my heart and head, and I opened it up wide, and Jesus came in. And I began to do what that preacher said, put my faith and trust in him and in him alone. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was saved in that moment. God began to work in my life, and God began to burden me about my mother. And I thought, man, I got to pray for my mom. I began to pray for my mother until midnight, many nights. I'd be there midnight at 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning praying for my mom to get saved. Then my church had a revival in July, the last week of July in 93, about four or five months after I got saved, the last week of July, and my mother came on a Tuesday night. Somebody was talking about Don Noonan. You're talking about Don Noonan preached on a Tuesday night, and my mom walked the aisle and got saved. Oh, what a wonderful day, a day I will never forget. She got saved. God began to work in my heart. And I told you, some of you remember, I was, I was, man, I'm getting two churches mixed up yesterday. I was preaching about how I got kicked out of my first school when I was in third grade. 
I was a smart kid, but I was halfway demon-possessed. And that's like not even an exaggeration. I started getting into spiritism. My friends and I could stand on the playground of the church. You know, weather could be as calm as it is in this room right now, and we'd hold our hands a certain way, and we'd do our little spiritual ritualistic chants, and we could feel the wind blow past us. That's the kind of junk I was into before I got saved. You see, I was under the impression that there was a such thing as white magic and dark magic. Can I tell you, it's all straight out of hell. No such thing as white magic. The Bible says there is no power but that of God. And if you are not of the light, my friend, you are of the darkness. I don't care what way you try to slice it or what way your magical books and potions try to slice it. If it's not of God, it's of the devil. I began to mess around that. And so when, when I got saved, God did a work. My teachers couldn't even explain what happened. They're like, I don't know what happened to him. I got saved in my sixth grade year. By the time I came back to school in seventh grade, I was a part of an advanced program called PAT, Program for the Academically Talented. And by the time I came back in seventh grade, I had a Bible on the top of my books, and I was giving out gospel tracts to the kids in homeroom. And everybody that went to school with me before, they were like, And all of a sudden, I was so bold. God bless my boldness. I was so bold. I'd get in the class. I was just learning about creation. I had no idea that God created all of this. I thought of that old song, once I was a monkey hanging from a tree, or once I was a tadpole long and thin, and then I was a bullfrog with my tail tucked in, and then I was a monkey hanging from a tree, and now I'm a professor with a PhD. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I thought. I mean, I didn't know anything about this. Somebody asked me how old the earth was one time as a new Christian, and I thought I was being conservative. I was like, oh, it's only about five million years old. <laughs> they just shook their head at me. We got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I got so bold. I was learning about Christ and learning about the Bible. I went back to, I went back to school, and, and my science teacher, he was a Catholic man, but he was an evolutionist, and he, he starts teaching us. I was like, hold up. I knew like two things, you know. Hold up, teacher. <laughs> Finally, I said, listen, your grandma may have been a monkey, but mine wasn't. For some reason, I ended up in the principal's office that day. I was so bold, I had, I had a gospel track taped to my locker. And it said, H-E-L-L. -L, and it had a picture of a woman with flames on her. I was, I was as bold as it came, man. I got people burning in hell on my locker. God began to work, and somebody said, hey, you can go to the Christian school. I said, there's a Christian school? Well, I get to be around other Christians. I didn't know they were demon-possessed, too, but so I get to be around these other Christians. He said, yeah, you can go be around these Christians. I said, okay. I said, what do I need to do? Watch this. I cleaned toilets. I mopped floors, swept and mopped floors. Cleaned out the church sink, dusted rearranged books, cleaned the basement, washed buses, whatever I needed to do to get in a Christian school, I was like, I'm deal. I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, God made the mistake. I was sitting in the back of Hiles Anderson College Chapel. They, for whatever reason, they had a bus kid convention one year on their campus. That was a big mistake. 1,200 bus kids in one place. Somebody lost their minds. <laughs> I'm sitting in the back of their college chapel, and God's like, I want you to preach. And I'm like... I just heard God calling somebody else to preach. 
And God's like, no, dummy, you. And I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, not me. God's like, no, you. I'm like, Lord, I'm the hellion. I'm, I don't even like talking in front of people unless I'm being a clown, which you could probably figure that out. So I don't want, God's like, I want you to preach. And I, by the way, for a year, I didn't surrender. I was running from God for a year. I was even preaching, but I wasn't surrendering. I was like Jonah, see? He did the job, but he wasn't surrendered. God began to work, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. A very pivotal thing happened in my senior year of high school. My dad, Calvin, I grew up, he, he lived in Gary first, and then he moved to Chicago Heights and Park Forest, Illinois, that whole area there on Highway 30. And I'd go there a lot of times for summer break and all that kind of thing, and that was my dad. Well, my se- right before my senior year, he was going to move to the city of Milwaukee. And I thought, oh, great. Dad's moving to town. He had, he had married and then separated and all that kind of stuff. Had another family, more kids. But the city of Milwaukee, the, the state of Wisconsin said, wait a minute. You just moved to our state, and you haven't been paying child support. And this kid has lived here since he's five years old. So we're going to go back to the time this kid was five years old and make you pay child support from five to 17 now. But with that, they said as part of our procedures, there's a mandatory DNA test. So I went in sometime in the summer, got swabbed, didn't think anything of it, thought, oh, great, fine, here you go. Where's my money, you know? <laughs> and we weren't at odds. Him and my mother weren't even at odds. It was just part of the process. But then on September 2nd, 1998, my world turned upside down when the results came back. I like that TV show, You Are Not the Father. <laughs> but my heart breaks when I see stuff like that because I've been on the other side of it. We treat it as entertainment in America, but there's real kids on the other side of this. And all of a sudden, I, call, I called my mom at work. She had gone down and got the results early in the morning, and I was at work, and I was kind of bouncing around as a kid. I was like, hey, Ma, what happened? And my mom said, I'll talk to you when you get home. And I was like, what did you say? She said, I'll talk to you when you get home. So I knew the results right there. I began to weep, weep, and weep. Man, I felt broken. I went downstairs in our locker room, and I, I, I was, you ever been there? You were, I, I was crying so hard, I couldn't even speak for about 45 minutes to an hour. I couldn't even talk. One of my, my coach came down, and he was trying to talk to me, and I, I literally physically could not talk. And finally, he went to our pastor, and he said, preacher, he said, you got to go down. He said, I don't know what happened. He thought my mom had died. And he said, he said, you got to go talk to Calvin. And finally, he sat there with me for another 30 minutes, and I was finally able to eke out the words, my dad. He's like, did your dad die? I'm like, no. He's like, I just found that. And I eked those words out. He's not my dad. 17 years had just turned upside down. My pastor began to, my pastor said something very unusual. He was raised, he got saved in our church too, by the way. 16-year-old boy, missionary, visiting missionary, led him to Christ. My pastor said these words. 
He said, I believe Calvin. Let me show you how God works. And by the way, how God can work in your life. My pastor said, Calvin, he said, I believe God allowed my father to walk out of my life when I was three years old and die in a car wreck when I was nine because he knew I was going to be sitting here with a 17-year-old boy 25 years later whose life just got wrecked. Don't you know God can use the heartache in your life? Don't you know he wants to take your burdens? He wants to take your crosses and turn them into crowns? And I don't know what you faced in here in your life, but listen to me, God has a plan for you. He's not forsaken you. He knows exactly what you've gone through. And then my pastor made this unusual statement as we, we, we hugged and we prayed together. And he said, hey, you can be one of my sons if you want to. And we kind of joked around about that, and then we just went on our way. And by the way, six hours later, six hours later, I'm almost done. Six hours later, I was sitting, it was Wednesday. I was sitting in Wednesday night service. I was sitting on that side. We, we had four sections in our church. And I was sitting over here in the front row. And one of our teenagers ran in with a yellow piece of paper. And I, he, he said, you need to read this now. I'm talking about six hours after I found it. And I opened the page and it said, your cousin Monte has been shot in the head. And he probably won't make it to the, to, through the night. Your mom's at the hospital. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? What is going on? And I remember I got up out of the church that day and I went down to the bottom where it was crazy how this works out. I went to this little corner of the basement where my office would end up being almost 10 years later. And I found that little crook in, in there, and I just went and I just collapsed, and I said, God, I don't know what's going on, but I need you. I need you. God began to show up, and three, we buried three of my senior, fellow seniors' fathers, two of their fathers within that year, and two others that are just part of our church and school that year, men, younger men in their 40s. It's crazy. God led one way or another. I went to Bible college. I met my dear wife there, and we got married on January 3rd, 2003. We were expecting our first little baby, and the Lord, for whatever reason, took that baby home. And God really birthed a song out of that. It's a song I wrote called You Were There that has literally gone, in many cases, around the world in independent Baptist churches, and God's still using it today, and maybe I'll, I may preach something about that later. God has had his hand all the way through. How did I get into evangelism? Here's what happened. I'll show you this. Uh, we got to go. I got into evangelism. I was in my church. I was serving. I was traveling already. I was singing with my group. I was, we were having a great time, and I was like, man, this is great, wonderful. I was loving life. I, had, I was my home church. I was a music director, sewing director, discipleship director. You know, uh, I taught a bus kid class on Saturdays, we went, a bus teen class on Saturdays, and then I taught adult class on Sundays. I'm talking about I was in my church, leading, singing, playing for special music groups, all of that. And then God started tugging at my heart. And I was like, no. You ever tug on your heart and you're like, no. Lord, I'm already traveling. I'm already preaching. I'm already singing. Leave me alone. I didn't say that to God because, you know, I don't want to get smacked. But, you know, I'm like, Lord, leave me alone. I'm comfortable right now. God's like, you're too comfortable. And everywhere I went for about three months, everywhere I went, somebody would inevitably say, Brother Allen, have you ever thought about being an evangelist? 
Some people would flat out say, I had a, one of my Sunday school adult members, she'd say, no, you're going to be an evangelist. I can see that. <laughs> Our church janitor said, he, I said, man, it's good to be back. He said, oh, no, you're going to be gone a lot more. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, yeah, you're going to be an evangelist. And I'm like, why can't everybody see this except me? I was sitting down at the church piano one day. My pastor and I were praying for a year. And you ever heard that song, When I Lay My Isaac Down? I started to play that song. And the second verse says, most of us, I dare to say, we have an Isaac in God's way. On the altar, you will prove it's you and your Isaac or it's God and you. When I lay my Isaac down with a broken heart, but my father's proud. On the altar, now I see it's not my Isaac that he wants, he wants me. I got to that second verse in chorus, and I began to sob like a baby. And I got off of the altar. I got off of the piano. I was by myself. I got off the piano, and I surrendered my life again to the Lord. I walked directly into my pastor's office, and I had told my wife, I said, I think God's already given him peace about me leaving. I walked into his office, and I said, Preacher? He said, Yes. He said, I said, I think we know which way this train is going. That's all I had to say. And he bowed his head, and he began to weep. He's like, I know. He's like, he's like, God's already given me peace and I hate it. You know, it's like, and here I am seven years later by the grace of God. What do we say in the beginning? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. See, some people in your life may see the son of a harlot, but God sees a mighty man of valor. David's brothers, oh, that's a little shepherd boy. Ah, no, 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 that's the king. Can I tell you, I don't know where your life path has taken you, and I'm leaving out a lot of the, the details because it would take me 14 hours. I'm leaving out a lot of the details, but listen to me. All that God has done to lead me up to this moment, and that my testimony is not any more special than yours. I, I told somebody this morning, when I used to, I was talking to y'all about this, when I used to give my testimony, uh, give my college mates a little bit of my testimony, they would be like, no, nah, I don't think so. They didn't even believe I was a bus kid in college. They said, oh, no, you're too well-spoken and you dress. I'm like, dude, trust me. Listen, I, 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 I've been so broke. Listen, we used to eat sugar sandwiches as a kid. I mean, yeah, we ate syrup sandwiches too. And, and, and we did a lot of creative things. And we used to eat sugar sandwiches. We said, what's that? Get some toast. Put a little bit of sugar on that thing. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was, a lot of times we called them a wish sandwich because we wish we had some meat to go in that sandwich. <laughs> Listen, I would have killed for some peanut butter and crackers certain days. I remember government cheese. I was like, hallelujah. They used to give us powdered milk back in the 80s. I was like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm telling you, but God, don't, God is a God of wonderful turnaround stories. God can take your life. God could take your testimony. And listen, to this day, I don't know who my father is. If my daddy walked into this room today, I would not know who he is. I don't know a name. I don't have anything as far as I know right now. I'm on 23andMe and Ancestry. One day it'll probably pop up. I got some second cousins out there, but I have not traced it back yet. been able to do that. But I know who my father is. Because the Bible says, if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I think I remember reading the verse, he will be a father to the fatherless. I tell you something God did. God took this little fatherless child. Say, so why did God do that? 
because God needed me to preach to a bus kid camp a few years ago of 240 kids. The first night, 25 of them walked the aisle to get saved. Some of them are in Bible college right now. Some of them are in full-time ministry because God used the life of a kid who doesn't even know who his daddy is to preach the gospel. God can use you. Oh, he was the son of a harlot. But he's a mighty man of valor. My mom's saved. She goes to an independent Baptist church. My sister's in heaven. My brother's saved. His wife saved. My boys, three, saved. And I've gone halfway around the world preaching the gospel. And I'm nothing. Trust me, I am nothing. But by the end of my life, I want the Lord to say, well done, mighty man of valor. You've been faithful. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share my testimony a little bit this morning. And Lord, it is nothing that I have done. I feel like the Apostle Paul, all these things, anything I've ever accomplished is but dung compared to what Christ has done for me. Thank you for your saving grace. Lord, I pray that something in my testimony would be a blessing and an encouragement. All I know is I opened my mouth unto the Lord years ago, and you took this son of whatever and made him into anything that you want me to be. I don't consider myself a mighty man of valor, but Lord, you have taken my little vows that I've opened my mouth in you and decided not to turn back. I pray that you would continue to use my life in any small way that I could possibly be used. Please, Lord, by your grace, help me to finish strong. Help me to finish faithful. Help, Lord, the, the lives that are in this room. There are things that people in this room have gone through that nobody else even knows about. They've not even shared it with anybody, or maybe they have, and they struggle with these things. God, help them. Help them to see that you are a God that is able to restore. You are a God that is able to transform lives. You are a God that is able to control destinies. You are a God that can take the guttermost and turn them into the uttermost. You can take a life that is in the mire and put us in the choir. You can take us from the lowest and take us to the highest of highs. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace that you bestowed upon us in Jesus' name. Close. I think there's so many takeaways in the way that the Lord could be working.